Genesis chapter 18, there was um, one of them I'll mention more specifically in a few minutes, the Lord willing, but as is often the case in settings like a youth congress, different things throughout just kind of stick in my spirit. Uh, but there were a couple of things throughout that um, were just some confirmations to me of some things I've been preaching and teaching about for a little while now. And uh, they kind of inspired some more things. So Genesis chapter 18, I will begin reading with verse number 1. Genesis 18 and starting with verse number 1. And the Lord... And the Lord appeared unto him, and the him here is referencing Abraham. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, of, yes, Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Maybe after a couple of thousand years and eternity after we've, you know, had a lot of excitement and gotten settled in some, maybe we'll have a chance to be told how to properly pronounce all these words that we probably have butchered. <laughs> of course, we won't really care then. So, <laughs> Verse number two, And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And he said, my Lord, and I'm, I'm going to come back to this and I'll explain it in a few moments after you're seated. But just notice, please, I don't know how well it shows it on the screen. But in verse number one, uh, that all four letters of Lord are capitalized. But in this verse here, it's only the first letter. And that's a significant thing. And said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee. From thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and he said, Make ready quickly. Three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. Hearth, hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. I don't know, he put like a bow tie on it or something or other, I don't know. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. Father, thank you so much once again for your wonderful presence. We experienced it this morning and we've experienced it here again tonight. I thank you that we haven't come together tonight to just go through the motions of a religious activity or a religious ritual, but we have come to encounter, to experience your presence, and I believe we have done that this evening. I thank you again that you've already ministered to hearts and lives in this place, and I pray now that you would speak to us. Lord, I believe there are some things you are, you are doing in our midst. I, think, I believe there's some things that you are trying to develop or fine-tune in our midst, and I pray that you would continue that tonight pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would let me be a messenger to speak your word to this congregation. I trust you and depend on you tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I, I don't know if God talks to you the same way all the time. And if your thought just now was, God doesn't talk to me, God talks to everybody. Whether or not you or everyone is listening is, is, a, is the question. 
but God talks. In fact, the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork, and, and He says there, there's, not a, there's not a place, there's not a language in this world that what their message is is not heard and understood. So God is, God is always talking. And for me, God does that in various ways. I've, I've had God talk to me and, and give me direction on things to teach and preach in, in all kinds of, of different ways. And so several months ago, as I shared in a service a book that I overheard uh, or I saw being distributed to some people, and then I took the time to listen to it, I guess that's where some of this vein started several months ago, and, uh, and that's the book called The Simplest Way to Change the World. And, and the bottom line is that, that the idea of, of hospitality is a God-originated idea. It starts in Genesis and it goes all the way. I mean, the bottom line is you want to talk about somebody who is hospitable. God is hospitable. You and I are living in the very thing that God created because of His hospitality. We've messed it up a whole lot. but And then He tells His disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place. You want to talk about some hospitality. There's going to be some amazing hospitality in that place. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more, no more abuse. No, it's going to be an amazing place. And so this has just kind of been stuck in various ways. And again, I've taught some things, preached some things in the last several months. But let me just, let me just say this before I, I continue on and you know, there's a lot of things in our world that the world has perverted. But there is a word, and, and usually when we hear this word, first and foremost, we now think of it, at least in my opinion, we think of it in a primarily sexual context, and there's way more to this word than, than, than just simply a sexual context, and that's the word intimate. The very basic dictionary definition, the Webster's dictionary definition of the word intimate is marked by a warm friendship developing through long association. It's suggesting informal warmth or privacy. It is of a, nat- of a very personal or private nature and it's also marked by very close association, contact or familiarity. First and foremost, you should have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I know some of you come from a religion that basically teaches you you're supposed to go through the priest to have that. I'm thankful to tell you tonight you don't need to go through me to have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You have access all by yourself. The scripture says that you can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can. And, and, and so first and foremost, again, you should have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But I believe God designed us that we need intimate relationships with each other. And again, I'll say this one more time. I'm not talking about sexual but that warm friendship developing through long association. And can I tell you from, from my perspective, in my opinion, the, uh, about the most intimate thing that we can do, about the most intimate activity that we can do, is to sit down at a table and share a meal together. Now again, this is not going into some organized whatever effort here tonight. In fact, we're, we're getting ready to kind of take this in a little different direction, but I just, I want to kind of, I want to kind of get that point across to you. I, I don't think that every time we sit down to eat, we should be shaking and whatever, boy, I just feel the presence of God. And I, but, but I think, I think we need to understand some of the significance and value. I know some of you don't do this and it'd be hard to start doing it. But I think that every household should make it a priority to try to sit down at the table together every day. That may not be able to be the table in your house. You may have to meet at a restaurant someplace. 
some of my favorite memories, not only growing up, but now as a husband and a father happen at the dinner table. And so all throughout Scripture, we can find this idea of, of hospitality, and, and I'll come back to this term in a little bit, a term that many of you have heard, you're familiar with, but this idea of, of breaking bread. But as I don't remember who it was, um, I don't think it's the speaker that I'll reference here in a few minutes. I think it was someone else. But in the course of one of the messages this week at Youth Congress, something was referenced. And it just, again, in the context of all of this in the last several weeks, it just really caught my attention. And so if, if you look at the verses that we've read here in the in the context or in the in the, uh, in the sequence of Abraham's life, God, I, I want you to get this, God has already called him. He's already visited Abraham, who was at the time God visited him, he was still called Abram. He's already done that. God has already had his encounter with Abraham, calling him to leave Ur of the Chaldees or Chaldees, and, and promising him that he's going to make of him a great nation, that, that, he's gonna, that he's, his, his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the seas and the stars of the heavens. So I, I, I want you to hear that because I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm, I'm overlooking that. that. That's very significant. But in the verses that we've read here, uh, that again, that, that part's already happened. I don't remember if it's where we've already read or maybe we'll read in a moment and it, or it may not be in these verses. But, but this, is, this is about 24 years, I think, after God has called him. Bottom line was when God called Abraham and made that promise to him, he was already 75 years old. No children, 75, and God says, I'm going to make, you're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be as numerous as the sand of the sea. And the, I, I think Abraham probably thought, God, you, you do know who you're talking to, right? 75, not 25. You, you should have told me this decades ago. And then the amazing thing is, after God calls Abraham and makes this promise, he then delays for 25 years before he even starts fulfilling it. So in the verses that we have read here, again, the point I made, I will come back to that in verse number 1. It says, and the Lord appeared unto him. The word Lord there in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. It's it's referencing Jehovah, the self-existent one. If you're not familiar with that, you need to understand that as you read throughout Scripture, when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's what it's referencing. But then as we read down into uh, verse number 3, and then he says, My Lord, it's, it's a capital L, but the rest of the letters are lowercase. That word there is Adonai, and that word basically can mean master or ruler. And while it can reference God, the intention here is to let you know that it's not automatically God. If it's God, then there's got to be a little more context. And so in verse 1, he's talking, it's Jehovah that appeared to him. But, but in this verse, in verse 3, in referencing these three men, it's, it's not, he's not now talking about Jehovah. He's talking about some men some strangers. In the verses we read, he sees them and, and he invites them into his, his home, if you will. He offers them water to wash their feet and he tells his wife to get some things together and he goes and, and gets a... He doesn't just get a, a scrawny calf that's about to die. He gets a good one. I would venture to say, based on the principles of the Word of God, I would venture to say he got the best one. And so he prepares this 
this meal for them and he, he invites them to rest. So watch this. God has already promised them. Going to make you a great nation. But in verse number 8, or excuse me, verse 9, pick up where we stopped. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. I, I think we, we, this was one of the questions that came up in the, in the car ride the other day. And, and that is when, you know, when preachers kind of state some things as facts that the Scripture doesn't quite state as fact. Uh, I, I, I don't know that it's clearly stated, but it in the in my reading, and I, I'm sorry, we may not get much higher speed than this tonight, so you'll just have to bear with me. I know all you youth congress folks probably need a Red Bull about now, but that's okay. He says, where is Sarah thy wife? I, I, there's no indication that he had introduced them to Sarah yet. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe Abraham kind of, what would you say? You didn't just say, where's your wife? You, you said, where is Sarah my wife? <laughs> where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? We will move on quickly and leave all that alone. And the Lord said, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the time appointed? I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I'm going to stop reading there, but if you read on, Sarah was was crazy enough, I guess. To then she denied laughing. I didn't laugh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to tell God? Who just said you laugh? I didn't laugh. So I won't read any other translations to make any of this plainer. <laughs> but in essence, what he's saying is after all these years of living with this promise, in about nine months, it's going to be fulfilled. In nine months, what you have waited for and seems absolutely impossible, it's now going to happen. Here's the thing I want you to notice. While God appeared to Abraham initially and called him, promised him what he was going to do with him, through him, it wasn't until... He showed some hospitality until he broke some bread that it opened up the door of opportunity. It opened up another dimension for him. I'll say it again. God, he didn't, that, that, the same thing didn't happen when God initially called him. But once God has called him, here are these strangers. And if you go to Hebrews, I forget chapter and verse. But in Hebrews, it tells us that we ought to be careful when strangers are around. Because you might be entertaining angels. And the King James says, unaware. 
And if you study out that verse, at least what I learned in studying out that verse, that it's actually one of the things it's referring to is this story right here. That Abraham sees these three men that are in, in essence are just strangers. And, and out of the kindness of his heart, out of, out of a desire to show hospitality, he invites them in not for what he can get. But he simply realizes these three men have a need. And again, he offers them water to wash their feet. And he offers them not just a, not just a snack. He offers them some good food. And it is, it is as a result of that interaction, that encounter, that the Lord then speaks and says, what I promised you is going to happen now. You see, I wonder if there's some blessings that God has in store for you and I. But as I've taught several Thursday nights now, you're going to have to be willing to do more than just share the gospel. You're going to have to be willing to share your life. But I believe there's some, I believe there's some blessings in store for you and I. If we would embrace this idea I'm going to say it again. I've said it, I think, in the past when I've come preached along these lines over the course of the last couple of months, and I've already said it tonight. There, there's, not, there, there's no sign-up sheets going out for anything tonight. There's no organization of anything. This needs to be, for lack of a better word, this needs to be an organic move of the Spirit in your life and in my life. Abraham didn't sign up at church on Sunday to host strangers. He didn't commit to some ministry. He saw an opportunity and responded, not knowing that in response to his response, there was going to be a great blessing. Let me give you a couple of other examples similar to this in Exodus 2 and verse 20. Bible says, and he, and this is speaking of Jethro, who was to become Moses' father-in-law, and he said unto his daughters, and where is he? The verses before this, you can read it later, his daughters have this encounter with Moses, and he's, he's, uh, he's very kind and helpful to them, and so Jethro now says, where is he? Where is Moses? Why is it that you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. I kind of doubt that when Jethro told his daughters to do this, that he knew. I'm about to get a son-in-law out of this. It was, it was just, a, it, was a, it was an instinct, if you will. It was a desire to show gratitude. It was a, a desire to share what he had. I wonder how many of us are hoarding the blessings that God has placed in our lives that they weren't given to us for us to consume them upon ourselves. But they were provided by God so that we could be a blessing to others and that in the process of being a blessing to others with what God has given us, we enjoy the blessing. As a result of Jethro's desire to show hospitality and appreciation to Moses, he ends up getting a son-in-law. You read the story of Samson's parents. I forget his mother's name, but his father, Manoah. It was an encounter with an angel in which, kind of similar to Abraham, he fed him, showed him kindness. One of the things, and if you've read the book, and hopefully you, you noticed this, and this really isn't here tonight to be about that book, but 
one of the things that I appreciated in, in reading, listening, and then reading that book is it, it makes it very clear. You, you don't have to have gone to culinary school. You don't have to be a great chef to be hospitable. Of course, nowadays, man, there's all kind of stuff you can get at the store and throw in the microwave. That's never as good as the stuff cooked from scratch. But if you you got to do what you got to do. It also makes the point it's not about how nice of a dwelling you live in. Let me tell you something in the world we're living in with hurting and broken people. They're just interested in somebody to love and care. They're not looking for a mansion or a palace. They're not looking for somebody that only has the finest of everything. They're just looking for somebody that's willing to show some kindness and love and break some bread and share the love of Jesus. There's no place that they did it in the Bible because they weren't around. But I got a feeling if there was coffee shops in the time of the Bible, they'd have, there'd have been some things that happened at coffee shops. I don't know about Starbucks, but some other ones. Bottom line is, for every excuse you have, there really is an answer. Sort of similar, a little bit different, but sort of similar is the story in Second Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8. says, It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. Actually, there it is. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Man, I'll go anywhere that wants to give me some bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us, for, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be well when he cometh to us that he shall turn thither. Some of you know the story, and I'm not going to read all of it to you right now. But what you find out if you read this story is this, this woman was a widow. Excuse me, not a widow. She was barren. And I don't think she was as old as Sarah, but she was older than a young woman. The reason that we know that is because when you read this story, the, the man of God, the prophet Elisha, because of the fact that, first of all, she just... She just started that when he passed by, they invited him in to rest, to eat bread. But then she went to another, another step, and she tells her husband, you know what, he, he keeps coming by. I mean, you keep providing bread, I'm going to keep coming by too, so... He keeps coming by, and, and how about instead of when he comes by us having to invite him in, why don't we build a room specifically for him? Let's not just continue to keep our house for ourselves. Let's, let's make some room for him. And so they, they make this room and it's, 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 got a, it's got a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And, and as a result of this, he says to his servant, what does she need? What's really interesting is, based on her response, she was not doing any of this for what she could get. Anybody ever been used before? Anybody ever had somebody doing some kind, nice things for you, only for you to discover they had ulterior motives? She didn't have those. She was just showing kindness and hospitality and providing for the man of God because when the servant comes to her and says, what, what can be done? She's like, I'm good. I got my husband. I got family, friends. I'm okay. And he goes back to the, the prophet and, 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 and the prophet finds out she doesn't have a child and he says, you go tell her she's, 
she's going to have a child. And, and the reason we know that she's older is because she responds to him, and this is not the King James Version, but the DSW Version. She responds and says, don't mess with me. Don't be playing with my emotions. I've reached the point that I've, I've made peace with the fact I'm not going to have a child. And now you're, 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 you're touching an old wound. And yet, short time after that, guess what? She has a son. I wonder, I wonder if God's got some blessings in store for you and I. That, and, 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 and hear me please, I believe in the importance of the altar. We call this the altar. I believe that there's some amazing things that happen at the altar. It's, it's not an uncommon thing to get a calling, Brother Middleton, at the altar. But can I tell you, it appears as though not everything is gotten at the altar. Maybe, and I don't think it was, but maybe in, in some context, Abraham's initial call was at the altar. Thursday night at the service, they've done this for several years now, they haven't always done this, but now for several years on Thursday night at Youth Congress, they have, a, they have an older preacher, an elder, if you will, preach. Brother Anthony Mangan, former pastor, now bishop of one of the largest churches in the United Pentecostal Church in Alexandria, Louisiana, he was the preacher. And it was amazing to watch at the end of that message. He requested, at the end when he got done, he requested that the musicians not come and sing. And Sometimes we do it both ways here. A lot of times in those settings, it's very common that at the end of a message, automatically a worship team comes up, they start singing. And sometimes they start singing stuff, and I'm like, did you just hear the same message I heard? What in the world are you, why are you singing that? Man of God preaches a message of consecration and dedication, and the worship team gets up there and shout with the voice of triumph. What in the world? Did you just pick that in advance and you're sticking with it or what? But I watched for some period of time, more than just a few minutes, he asked everyone to just stay in their seats. That's there was several hundred people that were already starting to make their way to the altar. He said, stay in your seats, please. And I watched for several minutes as 30 plus thousand people sat, basically leaning forward in their chair. I am confident there was some people getting called. Hopefully some of our youth and young people here tonight or that were on the trip got felt a calling. But there's some doors that God wants to open to you. But they're not going to get open at this altar. You're not going to get the you're not going to get the fulfillment of the prophecy at the altar. It's going to happen somewhere else where you're just I kind of hate to say it this way, but it's a common more common statement way of saying it nowadays when when you're just kind of doing life with people. Showing kindness and breaking bread and making yourself available that God's going to take you into a, another level, another dimension. And maybe there's some of you here tonight that, that maybe you've yet to realize and maybe you'll never actually know until you get to heaven that you've already done this and that has, that's what has opened up some doors that's what has caused God to add some blessings in your life. 
that you haven't just consumed what you have on yourself and, and, and you've looked around at those that are in need and you've been willing to make room for them. I referenced this this morning, but if I'm not mistaken, and I've asked a couple of people and as far as they know, they, they think so it, as well. This year was the first in, in the history, I believe, of Youth Congress. I've been 17 times now. And, and But it was the first time that in a general session, not one of the split sessions, breakout sessions, but it was the first time in a general session that, that, that a lady preached a general session. And boy, did she preach. No, I don't mean <gasps> and <gasps> spitting. In fact, she stood there in front of 20 plus thousand, I don't think there was 30,000 during the day, but I'd say at least 20,000. She stood there, and at the very beginning of her message, she made this statement, the Lord has forbidden me to entertain you today. Some of you may not really understand the impact of that, the significance of that. And she stood, and unlike what I do and have done here tonight, for 30 plus minutes, or actually she preached longer than that, she never moved out from behind the pulpit. And she pretty much never got above a conversational tone. And I hope we're trying to figure this out. I hope there's a way to get a hold of that message. She is working in what is referred to as Access Challenge Nations. That means nations where you're not welcome there to spread the gospel. That you're taking your life into your own hands. They put up on the video monitor, please no pictures and videos and posting anything on social media for her safety. And this really wasn't the, 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 the gist of her message, but in the course of it, she touched on this. And I want to, if you'll just bear with me for a moment. I'll, I can breathe real heavy if that would help you feel like we're, you know, in church. Because <laughs> uh, we know. <laughs> we know <laughs> the only way <laughs> you can be anointed <laughs> is you've got to be gasping <laughs> for breath. Because <laughs> if you're just simply <laughs> talking. <laughs> I know I like to get with it when I preach too, but. Oh, hallelujah. I said it this morning. I may be too tired. I probably shouldn't have preached today. I'm a little bit too tired. I came across this article. The title of it is Breaking Bread in Morocco and Uzbekistan. Bread is also an important part of everyday life in Uzbekistan, known as non or non, N-A-A-N, nan or non. No meal is served without one of these round, crusty, flat loaves. Oh, I wish that was the case. Every meal that I ate. There's just nothing like bread. Hot, warm rolls. I know all you healthy people are shaking your head. Read your Bible. Bread is all over. It's not the same. I don't care. Bread's bread. <laughs> Bread for hundreds of years has been a symbol of generosity and warmth. When you travel, you can learn a lot about a place and its people by breaking bread with the locals. In Morocco and Uzbekistan, we followed the smell of freshly baked bread to learn more about what these round loaves mean to these countries. In the quiet neighborhood of Sidi bin Silman in Mark, boy, I got all these Bible names and all these other names I probably am butchering. Abdullah opens his bakery just as the sunrise and morning prayers have ended. This is not a conventional bakery, but a communal oven or farine. In Marekic, every neighborhood has a farine where dough made by each home is brought each morning to be baked. Bread is a symbol of community in Morocco, and it is no surprise that Abdullah knows each customer by name and inquires about their lives before taking their bread to be baked. Bread in Morocco, known as cobs, is more than just a staple food. It's considered sacred. If a piece falls to the floor, it must be picked up and kissed 
As a guest, you will always be offered bread with tea. It's a gesture of friendship and the way bonds are built. This baker from Bukhara pictured with his family has been baking bread his entire life. Before each loaf is put in the oven, known as a tander, it is stamped in the middle with a pattern that tells it tells its eater which bakery came forth. Why, well, I bet there's something to preach there, Brother Middleton. In markets in Uzbekistan, you'll often, fi- you'll often find bread sold in vintage baby carriages, a wonderful reminder of a country at a crossroads, a place where ancient traditions coexist with the Soviet relics with, while the 21st century beckons. Bread in Uzbekistan is considered a gift from God. Amen. And it is, if you don't know, I like bread. And it is often, and I'm hungry, it is often an important part of marriage and engagement ceremonies. I wish I'd have known that. I'd have had some bread at my engagement. When a groom proposes, he brings bread to the home of his intended. Nathaniel, did you take bread to the traders? You might need to redo that. He takes bread to the home of his intended. And the, <laughs> and, and, the, and the breaking of bread between the family symbolizes a bond that cannot be broken. Bread is also an important part of everyday life in Uzbekistan, known as nan or naan. No meal is served without one of these round, crusty, flat loaves. Brett, did I copy and paste twice? Am I reading the same thing? No. I am. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are so nice to me. One other article states this. When Italians sit down to eat a meal, they often say, enjoy your meal in Italian. But before this, notice the person who speaks French is laughing the most here. But before they start eating, Italians often say a prayer, give thanks for the food. And when they do, they often break bread. Breaking bread is a sign of respect and gratitude. It it is also a sign of fellowship and sharing. When Italians break bread, they are saying that they are willing to share what they have with others. Breaking bread is also a way of breaking down barriers. When people break bread together, they are breaking down the barriers that separate them. They are saying that they are willing to share their food, their culture, and their lives with others. So in the course, and and again, hopefully we can make this available and you can listen and you'll hear it much better than I can tell it. But in the course of the message... She said, if I'm not mistaken, within like the last week or so, she was somewhere in one of these countries. She was at a family's house having food. And the lady, the hostess of the house, someone sitting between them, all of you young people that were at Youth Congress, anything I'm mistelling, I'm 51. I'm twice as old as you. I don't remember details like you do. But the lady reached across, someone sitting between them with some bread, and said, break bread with me. And in the course of all of that, she proceeded to then begin to talk to them. What what is the significance of that? She asked, I think it was the husband of the house, and he said along these lines, it's a bond of covenant, meaning that we bond and stay together. When we break bread, it's like forming an alliance. You are saying you will stay together. You won't stab each other in the back. You'll defend each other's families, etc., etc. Hear me tonight, this message is not just about those that are out there that need Jesus. You and I ought to be breaking bread with each other. 
Because it's sort of hard to criticize somebody behind their back that you just shared the intimacy of a meal with them and spent time at a table together, whether that's a table at their house or a table at a restaurant. I got a feeling there's a few people in here tonight with some cultures they're from that probably could preach this message way better than I can. Even a better understanding than I have. I'm here to challenge this congregation. I've said it in various ways. I am so desperate. I am so hungry for us to not just be this little church that we just come and go several times a week, punch the clock, do our religious duty and go about lives our own way. That New Testament church survived because they were connected with each other on a daily basis. They were breaking bread from house to house. If you study that out, and I'm sure some of you have, and, 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 and from my studies of it, there's debate with regards to when that term is used in the book of Acts, that they were breaking bread from house to house. There is debate as to whether or not that's referring to the Lord's Supper and communion or if it's referring to basically sharing a meal. I am not a theologian. I don't have a doctorate or a master's in theology. I have a bachelor's in business. But in my opinion, from my study, I don't think it's talking about them having communion house to house. I think it's talking about fellow believers sitting down together and sharing with one another, not just sharing food with one another, but sharing encouragement and one person being able to unload their burdens and and, and share their struggles and somebody else at the table not sitting there with a holier-than-thou attitude, but with love and compassion and in the act of breaking bread, you're making a commitment. I'm not going to walk out out of here and stab you in the back. I'm not going to leave this and throw you under the bus but I've got your back and I'm trusting that you've got my back. We are in a world that is absolutely desperate. You can't break bed with a a Zoom call. You can't break bread on FaceTime. It ain't the same. You and I were created to need physical face-to-face interaction with each other. And something supernatural happens when we make that kind of a connection with each other and with strangers. People that need Jesus. People that are desperate for some answers to hurt and pain, heartaches in their lives. I won't stab you in the back. I, I won't betray you. Don't raise your hand on this, but I wonder how many of you are sitting there and the thought has crossed your mind in the last few moments. That I've been in this church for X amount of time and not one person's ever invited me to their house. Well, my first question is this. How many of you invited to yours? Seems like I read somewhere in Scripture where it says, He that hath friends must first show himself friendly. I've told this before, but I've gone to conferences. I go to, usually every year, I go to our general conference for our organization. Ministers gather together and a variety of things go on. And I used to go and I'd sit there all week, all week long waiting to see. Well, I wonder if one of my friends is going to call me, invite me out to dinner. And you know what? I'd go year after year and they never did. Finally, I decided, you know what? Why don't, instead of sitting around waiting to see if anybody's going to invite me to go out to eat with them, why don't I invite somebody to go? Because if I invite somebody to go and they go, I, don't, I won't know whether they were going to ask me out or not. We, we, we go. And the chances are they're probably sitting in their room seeing, thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Well, I wonder if any of my friends are going to. You sit around after service wondering if. I wonder if anybody's going to invite me to go fellowship. Go find somebody. There's probably somebody else who's in the same position you are. And they're thinking, well, I wish somebody. Listen, listen, I'm, 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 I'm looking for the runway. 
I don't see it, but I'm looking for it. Too many clouds, I can't see. Watch this. I know most of you have heard this, but there's two different places in Scripture. One is 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. The second is Titus 1 verse 8, where Paul gives qualifications of what is required to be a bishop. You know what's amazing? In neither one of these passages is there anything about an education. Nothing about you need to go to seminary, and I'm all for studying and learning. But do you know that in both of these places, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, and in Titus 1 and 8, as a part of the qualifications, in 1 Timothy 3 and 2 it says that a bishop must be given to hospitality. In Titus 1 and verse 8, he says he should be a lover. I got to tell you something. I'm trying to quit. not trying too hard, but I'm trying. I don't understand Christians posting these memes about how much they hate being around people. There's one person who does that, used to do it at least. I don't know if they do it anymore. I got so tired of it, I stopped following them on social media. Don't, don't profess to be a child of God. I don't care what your personality is. It's a good thing Jesus didn't let a personality control him. I don't know if he was an introvert or an extrovert. Either way, didn't doesn't matter what your personality is, it can have some challenges. All this stuff, don't invite me because I'll probably I'll find a way to cancel and I mean what in the you're supposed to be a got the Holy Ghost in you? A child of God? He didn't say he didn't say to be a bishop you need to you need to tolerate being hospitable. He said you need to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of it. Boy, it's kind of tight in here. Oh. You, oh my, you, <laughs> I'm not sure you're a lover of hospitality if you get here right when service starts and you leave right when it's over. Show me book, chapter, and verse for that, Pastor. I don't have it. Other than I think there's places in Scripture that demonstrate if you love the body, you want to be with the body. And I love one of the things, and I don't know how we've gotten here, but I love watching. I know sometimes the lockup men don't love it. But I love watching them. Thank God in a couple of months, by faith, we'll have some better space to do it. But I love leaving here and I, I'm usually my wife and I are some of the last people to leave I love walking out of here and seeing families people talking fellowship what this is all about the living bible says Titus 1 and 8 verse this way they must enjoy having guests in their homes <laughs> that's what's required to be a bishop Amazing, if you've never read those qualifications, you ought to read them. There's some interesting things in there. I I close with this, Romans 12 and 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. This is in the Amplified. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in, and, in, and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exult in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Here, contribute to the needs of God's people. Sharing in the necessity of the saints. Pursue the practice 
of hospitality. Pursue. The Living Bible says it this way, love each other with brotherly affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and prayerful always. When God's children are in need, you be the one to help them out. And get into the habit, get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. Well, let's just start with dinner. That's okay. Get, get into the habit. I got a question. When's the last time? And I know some of you, it was this morning. Again, I, I, I'm not, there's a bunch of you here. I believe you're living this and practicing this. And I just, my hope and prayer is this message reinforces and encourages you to continue. But for some others, when's the last time you invited somebody to have lunch with you on Sunday afternoon? Well, I'm too busy the rest of the week. What about Sunday afternoon? Do you, do you not eat when you leave here? The majority of us, first stop, top priority is food. Whether that's at home or a restaurant. Lastly, the Passion Translation. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Watch this. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward Him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Verse 13, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Break some bread. Make some relationships that build lasting bonds of commitment and strengthen us. Invite the stranger in to break bread. And who knows the blessing? Who knows the door of blessing that they may, that, that may very well open up in your life? I know, especially the adults here, but it seems like it's not just adults anymore. Everybody is so busy. We're busier than any generation's ever been. And you know what? The last generation was busier than any generation has been. I said this recently, and I'm going to say it again tonight. I learned years ago, people have money, and time for what they want. And people that claim they don't have enough time. Have you ever, all you, I don't know, all of you people on the dark side if it does this or not, but all of you apostolics. All of you blue bubble people, not you green bubble people. You ever looked at that screen time report that pops up on your phone? I look at that every now and then. I'm like, wait, what? There ain't no way I spent that much time each day on that device. No wonder I'm so busy and can't do anything else. We, we have time. For what matters, I'm, I'm please hear me. I'm not, I'm, I'm, Brother Middleton. I'm not trying to apologize. I'm, I'm not here tonight as a, 
as a rebuke. I, I said it a moment ago. I, I mean it. And I think we're I think we're growing and moving in the right direction. But I I am so hungry. We we, we I was thinking about this today as I was studying. Boy, we are we I, I've said this recently, but we're all about being apostolic. We want to be apostolic. We want to be apostolic in our doctrine. We want to be apostolic in our services in the leading of the Spirit. And we, boy, we want to be apostolic. Do you understand what I've just preached to you tonight? It's just as much about being apostolic as all of that other stuff is. You see, we want to be apostolic, but we want to pick and choose the parts where we want to. We don't want we want to be apostolic so we don't have a program and a schedule for our services. We follow the leading of the spirit. How apostolic are you? How much are you breaking bread with your brothers and sisters and with a stranger and I don't mean stranger in the sense of somebody you don't know, but somebody that may not be a fellow believer yet. How much are you breaking bread? How much hospitality are you showing? That's apostolic. That's being apostolic. Stand, please. I know I've said this several times now, but and I made the point in the small group seminar a couple of weeks ago. I don't think there was one of the disciples that was Brother Isaac, the, 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 the Brother Isaac Middleton version. I don't think there was one of the disciples that was appointed to be the guy to assign people to the house they were going to. It was organic. They just did it. Matt, it doesn't say it clearly, but here's what I think. I think they gathered together at the temple. They did the stuff they did at the temple, and somebody realized, you know what, I, I don't think I've seen them here before. I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen them at the temple Just kind of make their way over to them. Hey, there's there's several of us here that we're just we're getting together after we leave here. We're just gonna spend some time together. We're just gonna fellowship with one another. We're gonna break some bread. Would you come? Would you join us? Just right where you are. I don't I don't think we'll go beyond this. At least I don't feel to at this point. But just. Just right where you are, would you just take a few moments and just, just talk to the Lord? I think there's some people here, you're like like I've been and like others have been, you're kind of sitting around waiting on somebody else to, to take the initiative. Well, I wish somebody would come ask me to break bread with them. I, I wish somebody would. Why, why don't you just, why don't you put that mindset aside? Why don't you... I wonder, and I, and I know maybe he, maybe it would have happened some other way. Maybe it would have still happened, but but I wonder. I wonder maybe would Moses have missed? Excuse me, Abraham. Is there a chance Abraham may have missed what happened had he not been willing to say to a couple of strangers that in the and the moment he gave his invitation, he didn't know they were representatives of the Lord, angels. He didn't know. It was just something inside of him that reached out, made that invitation, and look at what it opened up. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord. Lord, it's Sunday night, and the majority of people here are faithful church members come to church faithfully, gather together faithfully. There's a bunch of people here tonight that'll be here Thursday night and they'll be here next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. The doors are open, they'll be here, but God, we can we can do that faithfully and never fully connect with one another and really with you in the way you desire. pray, God, that the, the blessing and the benefits that we can see throughout Scripture, the encouragements, the challenges that we're given, 
to be those given to hospitality, those given to sharing what you've blessed us with with others, that that, that would be the atmosphere, the spirit of this congregation, Lord, that we would exemplify that. Lord, I know that we're in a different day than they were in the book of Acts. I know there's different dynamics in our world today, but but the principle of it, Lord, the application may be different, but the principle of it can still be put into practice, so help us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the, the bonds, the connections, the strengthening of relationships that comes, the, the welcoming in of the stranger that's looking for a place to belong, don't let us miss that, Lord. Don't let us pass over those opportunities. Don't, don't let us simply be willing to spread the gospel with our words, but keep our lives in reserve. Help us to be willing to share the gospel and to share our lives. It's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to fit into a nice little schedule that we're trying to keep, but oh, the blessings. Oh, the blessings that it affords us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts would be good ground for the seed of your word. That it would produce in our lives and in us as a congregation what you desire. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Look forward to seeing you at some point throughout the remainder of the week. In Jesus' name.